Well, um, this this was a hard one to put together. I, I it had to be all God because as of a couple days ago, I had nothing. So um, we've been reading through Lamentations and in Ezekiel, and and I felt that it was a lot similar to Jeremiah. It's the same time frame, and so. For some reason, this scripture about Jeremiah buying a piece of land and burying the deed just kept coming back to me. And I, I didn't know why, so I just went back to it. Um, and as, as I began to you know, just pray about things and, and even listen to scriptures, like God put more things into it. And so um, it's got to be God because uh, I literally, I was, I was in panic mode um, on Friday. I'm going... Got to, you got to do something because, and, and as you're preparing to preach, a lot of times, like, you feel like you're on heightened alert, like, I, I'm listening, God, you know, and, and I felt like I finally got to the point where I didn't have anything, but all I had was that one set of scripture that, that just kept coming back. So, we're going to start in Jeremiah uh, chapter 29 uh, with verse 4, and, and before I start, um, beginning of the school year, it's pretty common for schools to hire guest speakers to come in and kind of motivate the teachers beginning of the year. And, and we had a, a really good speaker, and her message is hope. That's the, the basis for her message is hope. Um, and she talks about all the scientific uh, research. There are actually people whose job it is is to study hope. And what she said is that hope can be distributed, that if you have hope, you can actually share your hope with someone else and and I thought it was interesting that they had to use science to to because as a Christian you know that I mean you you constantly are feeding off of the hope of, of other people and the hope of Christ and but essentially what she said was you know that that if you are hopeless you can't give anyone hope and so I guess the message for tonight is we can't be hopeless church we can't be. There are a lot of people in this world who need the hope of Jesus Christ. They need hope. And we have to be living in that hope. If we are hopeless, we can't share hope. And I know that when we turn around and we look outside or we turn on the TV and we watch the news, it looks hopeless. But when we read scripture, we find it's supposed to look hopeless. We ourselves cannot be hopeless. We have to be hopeful. And God actually gives us hope to cling on to, but we have to remain in that hope. Amen? So let's begin with Jeremiah 29. And, and I love Jeremiah 29, 11, but I do feel that, that the prosperity gospel has hijacked that scripture and used it for a dip, different purpose than, than what its context is. So let's start with chapter uh, 29, verse 4. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Notice that God says, I caused you to be carried away. This is the time and the place where I want you to be. Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and begat sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands, so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. And notice God is telling the Israelites 
continue on with your life. Because it's normal in human nature when you're in a bad situation to go to woe is me, to sulk, to become overwhelmed by your situation that you don't continue on in life. And God says, hey, go get married, have kids, buy land, grow food, and prosper there. He's giving them the command to continue on in life, not to throw up the hands and say, we're done for. The Israelites are destroyed. He's telling them, grow, prosper there. I don't want you to be diminished. I want you to grow as a people. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets or your diviners who are in the midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams which could cause you, uh, which you cause to be dreamed, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. So notice God tells him, you are going to be in captivity in the darkest hour for this generation in slavery. God tells them, there is, it's, it's for a limited time. It's only for a period of time. It's 70 years. And I know for us, sometimes we look and we go, man, it's just getting worse. It's getting worse. It's getting worse. We have hope, church. There is an end. And see, this scripture, again, that that gets often misquoted and taken out of context, and again, used for the prosperity gospel, God's telling them they're going into captivity. They are going into slavery for 70 years. He's telling them, you will be in another country. You are going to be taken captive. A lot of times you just hear it, well, hey, at graduation parties, God has a plan for you. He's going to give you hope. They were at the darkest place in their entire life. That was the darkest place that that generation had been. And God says, I will give you hope. Verse 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and, I will, and you will seek me and find me. When you search for me with all of your heart, I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I have caused you to be carried away. See, there is hope. He gives them this hope to cling on to, saying, hey, you will come back. I still have promised this land to you. I will bring you back to this place, back from where I've sent you to be taken captive. And so when we read the next uh, story in Jeremiah 32, verse 6, remember, this is that promise of hope, this promise that they will return. And church, we're in a very similar place. We have hope. There are darker days ahead of us. But we have to remain in the hope and not become hopeless because of our situations and because of our surroundings. The Israelites could have been hopeless, but God gave them something to remain, uh, to hold on to and to remain hopeful. 
So in Jeremiah 32, I love this story because God commands Jeremiah to buy a piece of land, but it's a promise to him. And, and we'll see what that promise is. So, so uh, verse 6, And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle will come to you, saying, Buy my field, which is in Anathoth, for the right of redemption is yours to buy it. Then Hanamel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison according to the word of the Lord and said to me, Please buy my field that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin. For the right of inheritance is yours and the redemption yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So I bought the field from Hanamel, the son of my uncle who was in Anathoth. And weighed out him the money, 17 shekels of silver. Now, I want to point out something. It cost him something. This piece of land cost him 17 shekels of silver. There was a cost to this piece of land. And as we'll see as, as the story goes on, this piece of land was the hope to Jeremiah and the promise that the Israelites would return. See, if you were being taken captive, doesn't it sound silly to buy land in the country you're being taken away from? Right? It sounds senseless. Like, why would I spend money and why would I invest if I'm going to be taken away? Now, as we read, Jeremiah actually goes with a group of vagrants to Egypt, but he is taken out of uh, that land, but he invests in Israel. And that's important to note. It's important to note that it cost him something. And I'll, I'll articulate that later when I talk about us. Being hopeful, it costs us something. For us to remain in the hope that Christ has promised us, there's a cost. So it costs him 17 shekels of gold or of silver to buy a piece of land in a country uh, that he knows he's going to be exiled from, that he's going to be taken out of. And I signed the deed and sealed it, took witness and weighed the money on the scales. So I took the purchase deed, both uh, that was, was sealed according to the law and the custom, and that which was open. If we skip to verse 13. Then I charged Barak, before them, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both this purchase deed, which is sealed, and this deed, which is open, and put them in an earthen vessel, that they may last many days. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. And see, there's that hope, the promise that The Israelites will return, and that once again, the houses will be built. Uh, There will be homes there. There will be vineyards. There's that promise that they will return. And see, that allows the Israelites to cling on to that. And when you look at Jeremiah, this is a promise to him. Because, again, as you go through Jeremiah, he, he, he feels tossed to and fro. This is a way that God reaffirms that this is my word. What you are saying is true. And so, he gets this plot of land, he takes the deed, he buries it, and again, it's that promise that Israel will return. And 
we have hope. Just as Jeremiah has hope, just as the Israelites had hope that they would return, we have hope. And our hope is the second coming of Christ. That in the end, the king of glory is going to come. And all things will be made new. But church, there's a cost. There's a cost to us for that hope. Does that make sense? It's Salvation is free. But we have to give up many things to remain in that hope. We can't just turn around and look at what's going on outside and say, all is lost. What's, what's my point here? What's my purpose here? So if we can, flip to Matthew chapter 24. We're going to start with verse 3. It says, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered them saying, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. And if you look at what happened this, this, this weekend in uh, Central Europe, I mean, we see these things happening. Okay, we see the natural disasters, we see the wars, we see nations rising against nation. Then I will deliver you into the tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And we're going down that road, church. I know that it looks dark, but darker days are before us. Only darker days are before us. And when Jeremiah was talking to, to the Israelites, darker days were before them. They had not yet been taken into captivity. The Babylonian king was on his way to take them into captivity. They had not yet been taken into captivity. Darker days were ahead of them. Darker days are ahead of us, church. I would not expect it to get brighter. Scripture says that we will be hated by all nations for his name's sake. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. You know, I feel like over the past year, that's all we've heard about is the lawlessness that has been taking place and how bad crime has become. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. If you skip down to verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud, of heaven with power and great glory. See, church, that's the hope that we have. The return of Christ coming back in all of his glory. 
Again, when all things are made new. And we have to remain in that hope. In that hope that we know that Christ is coming back. And we know that he's coming back soon. And he will send his angels with a great sound, with a trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one uh, end of heaven to the other. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know summer is near. And so Christ gives this, this parable that the way that you know that summer is near is by looking at the fig, the fig tree, okay? The, the, the branches get tender, starts to bud its leaves. You know that summer is close. The way you know the end is near is by the signs of the times, right? Amen? And that's, as we watch, it continues to grow darker and darker and darker. And I feel like time and time again, it's like we add one more thing to the list of things that happen. So you also, when you see these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, the generation will not, by no means pass away till these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of the day and the hour, no one knows, not, in the angel, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, there were, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the days of Noah, the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came. And took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. You know, I think it's interesting that, that Jesus points out Noah. Because Noah was ordered to, to build this ark. And he was given very specific instructions on how to build the ark. Very specific. But what he wasn't given was a time. He, he had to build it in faith. Believing that God had told him to do it. And had given him direct instructions on what to do. And as he's building it, people are making fun of him. They're mocking him. And they're continuing on in their life. And they're eating and drinking and being merry. And he never knows when until God comes. And that's the same way with us, church. We have to be like Noah. We have to be prepared. Because we don't know the hour. We don't know the time. But when God comes, the door shuts. And they did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in a field, and one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed uh, his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Which means we have to be watchful. We have to be hopeful for his return. Always on guard. As odd as it sounds, this is our hope, church. That's where our hope lies. 
is in the return of Christ. We don't know when. That's our hope. And again, if we are not hopeful, if we're hopeless, we cannot be the hope that other people need. If you will, turn to chapter 25. To remain in this hope, church, it does. It costs us something. Sometimes we have to sacrifice things. Sometimes we have to give up things. Verse 20, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at the midnight, and at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our, lamp, our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go, rather, to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went out to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding. And the door was shut. Notice the door was shut again. Just like in the days of Noah, the door was shut. We have to be prepared, church. We have to have our oil in our lamps. We can't wait until the day that Christ comes to go purchase the oil. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I don't know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. What the scripture is telling us is to always be ready, to always be prepared. We have to live in that hope knowing that Christ is coming. That that he's coming and he's coming soon. And he tells us that in Revelations. He says, I am coming quickly. Verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling from a far country who called to his servants and delivered his goods to them. To the one he gave five talents, to the other two, and to the other one. To each according to his ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received the five talents came and brought the five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. He who had received two talents came to the Lord and said, You delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that you were a hard man, reaping where you had not sown and gathering where you had not scattered seed. And I was afraid, and I went and hid the talent in the ground. Look, there, you have what is yours. 
the Lord answered to him and said, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I had reaped where I had not sown and gathered where I had not scattered seed. You ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my own coming I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. And when you look at this, church, it, it's, it's important to note <clears throat> that they had to work for what God had given them. God had given them a certain amount of talents, and they had to continue to work in those gifts to share and, and to, to go out, and they traded with people, and they didn't just sit back and rest. We can't just cower back and step away and say, hey, I have this hope that's in Christ. I'm going to dig a hole and I'm going to bury it. We have to go and make known what our hope is. That's how we give hope to other people. We share the hope. We share the hope. And I, it was funny, I gave Aunt Maria a hug down here at the altar and she said, I asked her if she was thankful for just, it's awesome to me. I, I know it's sentimental for me, but just seeing my cousins play music and lead worship, and I said, isn't it awesome how great God is? And she said, yeah, it is. And I just look at, across the church and I say, man, who's in charge? But think if Bruce wouldn't have shared his hope. Think if Bruce would have hid his hope. Think about it. Rob Maria, Zach, Austin, Keith, Nate, Amber, Kirsten, Lenny, Teresa, Carrie. I mean, it goes on. I just, and that's just in this, in this building, the effects that God has when we share our hope. See, if we take our hope, we take what God has given us and we hide it. We take that talent and we just dig it and we put it in the ground. We say, God, I know that you're hard and you know it. I'm not going to have any friends if I talk about you and, and people are going to despise me. And it's hard. It's hard to be a Christian in, in 2016. I, I can't do it. I'm just going to, I love you. I know your hope. I know you're coming again. And I'm going to hold on to that. But I can't share it with anyone. God says that we're wicked and lazy if we do that. Lazy. Because I know that my salvation isn't by works. But he requires us to work in our hope. If we, if we just take what he has given us, that gift of salvation, and we dig it and we hide it in a hole, we're not doing anything for the kingdom of heaven. We're doing nothing for the kingdom of heaven. We have to share, church. We have to give hope to the hopeless. For everyone who has more will be given, and, for, uh, and he will have abundance. But for him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away and cast to the unprofitable servant in the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, and I'll, I'll continue on. I don't have this, but let's go on with Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all that is holy and angels with him, and he will sit on his throne in his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate from them one another as the shepherd divides the sheep from the goats, and he will set the sheep on his right hand 
and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on the right hand, Come, you, you blessed... Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. And I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. And I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. And I was sick, and you visited me. And I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer to him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, and thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did unto the least, uh, one of the least of these, my brethren, you did unto me. See, church, it cost us something. There's work involved in this hope. We have to do unto the least of these. Scripture says, What you have done unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done unto me. And see, that's how we give the hope that we have through Jesus Christ and knowing in the coming, uh, the second coming of Christ, we have to share it with others. And all of those situations give you opportunity to share your hope, to share your faith. Those are opportunities and doors that God opens. But if we just sit back and we say, you know, well, I mean, I can't trust those panhandlers. They've got those signs. We have to give them hope. We have to give them hope. I know that's a a silly example. But church, we're the light of the world, a city on a hill. We cannot hide. We have to be the hands and the feet of God. It costs us something. You know, in, in the story of the virgins, they had to be prepared. That takes forethought. Right? We can't just live our lives. We have to have forethought. We have to think about eternal things. We have to think about having our oil ready. Pastor preached this morning about holiness and about what we do in the dark. That's preparing our lamps, church. That's the holiness. Peter says, I am holy because you are holy. That's where our heart has to be. We have to remain in holiness because God is holy. We can't be in his presence, filthy and dirty and filled with sin. Then he will say to those on the left, depart from me. Oh, sorry. I skipped a little bit. Sorry. Then he said uh, to those on the left hand, depart from me. You cursed into everlasting fire, purged with the... uh, for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no, no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will say and answer them, surely I say to you, and as much as you did not do to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go into everlasting punishment, but the righteousness into eternal life. See, church, we have hope, but that hope takes action. We have to work for that hope. Just as Jeremiah, it cost him 17 shekels of silver, 
we have to, we have to put forth our energy, our time, and we have to be, uh, we have to think. We have to think about helping the least of these. We have to do work for the kingdom. I'm not talking about gaining salvation through your works. I'm talking about you have salvation, now it's time to work. It's time to work, church. The world is hopeless. You have the hope. It's time to share the hope. We can't sulk in all the evil that's taking place. Scripture says it's going to take place. It's going to happen. It will only get worse. Your only hope is Christ is coming back, and he's coming back soon. And as my Uncle Bruce always says, your name has to be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You know, my grandpa, I'll never forget this. It was probably 6.30, I don't know, on a Tuesday or Thursday morning. And I was asleep in my bed. Getting uh, Shortly, I was going to get up and go to class in college. And I'll never forget there's been a few times where I ever wake up without either my mom or an alarm when I live with my parents. But the, the, the sound of my mom's voice, I walked out and I said, did grandpa get saved? I mean, it's 6.30 or 7 in the morning. She said, yeah, he said to me, Teresa, my name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. Church, that's our hope. And that's what we have to tell people. We have to tell people that their name has to be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We have to minister to people when God opens that door. If they're naked, we got to give them clothes. We live in southeastern Ohio. 60% of the people are in poverty. There's a lot of work to be done. God has placed us here. We are called to do unto the least of these, church. And if you will, turn to Revelation chapter 19, and I'll finish up here. This is our hope. Verse 11 says... Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judged and make wars. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen White and clean followed him on a white horse. Now, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule with the rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress in the fierceness of wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. When that sky cracks and the Lord comes down, that's the second coming of Christ. That's where our hope lies, church. Our hope doesn't lie in the election of 2008 and President Obama. Our hope doesn't lie in the election of 2016. It doesn't lie in what bathroom you can use or what bathroom people can't use. Our hope lies in Jesus Christ in the coming again. And that's what people need to hear, that they want to be clothed in white, riding with the King of glory. Chapter 21, verse 1 says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. And that's important, church, that there's no more sea because there's only one source of water. And that's a river. And that's the river of life. 
Then I, John, saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down from heaven that God had prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and and be their God. See, church, that's the second coming of Christ. That's our hope, where all things are made new. Where God will come and dwell and be with us. See, right now, he can't come and dwell and be with us because we are sin. We are covered in sin. We would die if God came right now and dwelt in this, in this church. If he came and he dwelt, we would die because of the wickedness that is in us. He's going to come in that second coming. And he's going to be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there shall be no more death. Hallelujah. No more sorrow. No crying. There shall be no more pain as the former things have passed away. And I can't wait for that day, church. I can't wait for that day. There will be no more pain. No more death. No more death, church. Death hurts. Seeing people that we love pass away. That's our hope, church. Our hope doesn't lie in if we make it to 72 or 96. Our hope lies in that Christ is coming again. And when he does, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. All things are going to pass away. All things will pass away. And all things are made new. There will be no more tears. No more pain. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Church, can you not wait for that? He will make all things new. This carnal nature will be gone. I can't wait, church. I can't wait. All things are going to be made new. And he said to me, Right, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to those who thirst. Church, he he gives it freely. He's going to give it freely. For those who thirst, he's going to give of the fountain of life. He who overcomes it. Church, we have to overcome it. Shall inherit all these things. We have to overcome We can't dig a hole and put our stuff in it. We can't. It costs Jeremiah 17 shekels of silver. It's going to cost you your life. You have to die to yourself every single day. It's expensive. It's not easy. But guess what? There's hope. We are the only hope, church. And there's a lot of hopeless people. And we have to be that hope. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. The person that overcomes, he will be his God, and that person will be his son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Church, see, if we, if we take what we have and we bury it, we take that salvation, which is a gift of God, We're going to turn into those. Those will be the things that identify us. Church, we have to share what God has given us. We have to spread it. If you turn to 22, the river of life again, there are no 
There's no sea. There's no more sea. There's only a river. And he showed me a pure river of water, of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of, uh, middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, and each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servant shall serve him. Notice there will be no more curse. The curse from the sin of man, the taking from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. The curse will be lifted, church. The sinful nature of man will be lifted. We have hope. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of nations, and there, will be, uh, there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and he, uh, his servant, shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp, nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angels to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Behold, church, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And he said to me, See that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant and your brethren and the prophets of those who keep my words of this book. Worship God. That's what we're to do. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. But he who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he who is holy, let him be holy still. Behold, I am coming quickly, church. The Lord is coming quickly. My reward is with me. He's coming quickly and he's bringing his reward. Do you hear that, church? Who's the reward for? His reward is for the people who worked. To give to everyone according to his work. See, Christ is bringing a reward, church. He has it with him. He's coming quickly and he's giving you your reward when he comes. And it's according to your work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the, and the first and last. Blessed are those who do, uh, do his commandments that they, may be, uh, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters. And whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Church, he's our Messiah. He's our one and only king. He is our way that we can have access to God. Because of Jesus Christ, we are grafted into the vine and we have salvation through him. It's extremely important that we understand that he is the offspring of David, that he's the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. 
And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. And verse 20 says, he who testifies these things say, surely I am coming quickly. Church, I can't stress that enough. We have to have the oil and the lamps. We have to be ready. And we have to do unto the least of these because Christ is coming quickly. And he's coming quickly and he has the rewards. We're not working for our salvation. We've got our salvation. We're working because Christ is coming. And we have, he's coming with his rewards. And he's coming and we have the hope and we have to share that hope, church, to the hopeless. Amen, even so, come, Lord Jesus, come. I cannot wait for that day. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, amen. Church, these altars are open. Christ is coming and we have to, we have to be the hope to the hopeless. I can't stress that enough.